Today's video is brought to you by my latest book, When Religion Kills, a look at how the so-called faithful in many religions advocate murder in the name of their God. Buy it today. Just click on the link in the text portion of this podcast. You've probably heard a lot about a horrific crime that was committed in France in the past week or so, whereby an 18-year-old young man of Chechen origin, who'd been in France since the age of six, killed and beheaded one of his teachers, a man called Samuel Paty, who in one of his classes had discussed the infamous Mohammed cartoons controversy. This, of course, was a series of drawings, caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad that was sponsored by the satirical magazine Shari Abdo a couple of years ago. These cartoons have certainly predate that. We remember the attacks on the Shari Abdo offices by Islamist extremists. There were threats against a Danish uh, newspaper, Jürgen's Posten, for hosting a similar contest. And in the wake of this assassination, which is what it really was, the French president has given a number of speeches in which, and here are a few, a few quotes that I want to share with you. He says that he is setting out a plan to combat separatism, focusing on Islam in particular. He says, quote, this is obviously a translation of his French remarks, Islam is a religion which is experiencing a crisis today all over the world. He cites the tensions between fundamentalism, proper religious projects, and politicians. He added, there's a need to free Islam in France from foreign influences. And he outlined plans to end a system allowing imams to train overseas, to reduce homeschooling, and to take control of religious funding. Furthermore, Islamic associations would have to sign a contract respecting the Republican Republic's values in order to obtain subsidies. And that's pretty hard-hitting. He hasn't left much on the table there. We know what he stands for. Well, what has been the reaction in many parts of the Islamic world? Here's a small sampling. The Grand Imam of Al-Hazar, which is one of the great Islamic institutions in Egypt, has called for is international legislation to protect Muslims against hate and discrimination. And the Imam Tayyib said that the cartoons were insulting to the Prophet and are a quote, an explicit act of hostility against Islam and his Prophet. For his part, the Prime Minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, wrote a letter to leaders of Islamic states, urging them to, quote, collectively take the lead in breaking this cycle of hate and extremism caused by Islamophobic acts and statements by leaders of Western, especially European, i.e. President Macron, countries. Saudi Arabia, for its part, has said it rejects any attempt to link Islam with terrorism and condemns the offensive cartoons. I, I talked about this in a Quick Hits podcast just this morning. The Saudis call for intellectual and cultural freedom to be a beacon of respect, tolerance, and peace that rejects practices and acts which generate hatred, violence, and extremism and are contrary to the values of a coexistence. Uh, for his part, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, never one to back down from a controversy, has called for a boycott of France's goods and he also is accusing Macron of having an anti-Islam agenda. Quote, 
European leaders with foresight and morals must break down the walls of fear. They must put an end to the anti-Islam agenda and hate campaign that Macron is leading. And it goes on and on and on. So what do we do about this? Well, I'm going to weigh in at some length today about what I think all this means. I'm going to be brutally honest with my views about what I think is a serious bordering on existential crisis within Islam. You've heard me talk about Islamist extremism a lot over the years. It is, in fact, my specialty. It's what I worked on in security intelligence. When I worked for the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, it's what I have written five books on since my so-called retirement in, in 2015. Analogous to that, or concomitant with that, over my career, I made it a point to learn an awful lot about Islam, the faith, the history, the culture, for the simple reason that in order to understand Islamist extremism, which of course is a form of terrorism, one has to understand Islam. You've heard me say it before, I'll repeat it just briefly again. Anyone who thinks that Islamist extremism has nothing to do with Islam knows nothing about Islamist extremism. It's simply intellectually dishonest to decide that Islam has no role to play and no influence on the mindset and on the actions of violent extremists who claim that they are fighting and killing and destroying in the name of Allah. I'm not Islamophobic. I, I'm not anti-Islamic. I'm not necessarily pro-Islamic either. I'm actually quite neutral when it comes to world religions. For the record, I was raised Christian. I consider myself loosely Christian, but probably more akin to Judeo-Christian values, which have been predominant in the West for the better part of 2,000 years, more so than an actual practicing Christian. I don't necessarily criticize any of those who have a faith, although I did write in my last book, uh, When Religion Kills, that violence in the name of God or gods is not unique to Islam. Yes, Islamist extremism has dominated the headlines for the past 20 years. But as I think I showed in my book, there are Hindu extremists in India. There are Buddhist extremists in Thailand, Sri Lanka, and Myanmar. There are Jewish extremists in the West Bank. There are Sikh extremists, even here in Canada. And there are even Christian extremists. A lot of the far-right rhetoric that comes out of the United States and other countries has its serious tinge of Christianity to it. But as I pointed out, or tried to point out, the use of religion by these violent actors is not what we would call normative or mainstream interpretations of those faiths. Now, I have to admit here, I'm not an expert in religion. I've never studied the, the, the religion as a human phenomenon to the same extent that many others have. But it, and it seems to me that there are multiple interpretations of any faith. To take Christianity alone, there must be hundreds, if not thousands of different sects and interpretations of the original message of Jesus Christ, the prophet from the, you know, the early part of the modern era. At the same time, there are aberrant interpretations of various faiths. Now, who decides what's aberrant and what's mainstream? That's a really good question. In some faiths, such as the Roman Catholicism of the Christian Church, there is a Vatican, there is a Pope, and a College of Cardinals that decides what's right and what's wrong. In other faiths, including other variants of Christianity, it's not so cut and dry. There is rarely one authority who decides what is the true faith, and what is some kind of a variant 
or aberration of that faith. But I think that you know, when it comes to violent extremism and those violent extremists who happen to use religion to justify their acts, I think we can all agree that what they do is not normative. And I think I'm supported in that because there are certainly those that'll, that'll disagree with me. Ann Coulter, I don't have a lot of time for Ann Coulter, famously said that not all Muslims are terrorists, but all terrorists are Muslim. As in a sense that the only terrorism we have to worry about is Islamist extremism, which is categorically false. And it shows how ignorant and stupid Ann Coulter is. But when it comes to those actors, I think we can agree that the version of religion, of faith, of belief, of creed that they use to call for action and to later justify the heinous nature of their violence is certainly not the version or interpretation shared by the vast majority of believers of that faith. So for example, by some estimates, there are probably over a billion Muslims on earth right now. It seems to me, and I don't think I'm wrong in this regard, that the vast, 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 vast majority of Muslims who are believing faithful people do not subscribe to the same form of Islam that Al-Qaeda or Islamic State or Al-Shabaab or Jama'a Islamiyah or Lashkar-e Taiba or whatever use and the ways in which they interpret scripture, be it the Quran itself or the Hadith, the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad or the sayings of other great prophets throughout Islamic history. It's not the kind of Islam they hear when they go to the mosque every Friday for, for, for communal prayers. It's not the kind of Islam they themselves use when they do their, their own daily prayers, their five prayers a day for those who are observant Muslims. And the same can be said for Christians and Jews and Sikhs, etc. The faith that means a lot to them is not the same as the faith of those who use violence. It is an aberration, as I've said. And yet there's a bigger picture here, particularly when it comes to Islam, although I would argue that other faiths have something similar going on. And if you are interested in reading more about this, I certainly recommend that you pick up my book, When Religion Kills. I do have copies for those who are interested. I can certainly send them to you, where I look at how violent actors have twisted religious faith, have twisted history, have twisted doctrine to suit their purposes. But I'm going to focus here on Islam for the simple reason that in the wake of the attack in France, this barbaric killing of a teacher, and massive reaction across the Muslim world, led me to want to weigh in on something that is probably going to piss off some of my listeners who happen to be Muslim. And I accept that. I, I don't intend to be insulting. I, I'm not trying to be dismissive here. I'm trying to, to have a conversation. It seems to me that when, you know, the Saudi monarchy, which is largely responsible for the modern wave of Islamist extremism in the propagation of their their narrow, hateful, intolerant interpretation of Islam, which we call Wahhabism. They call themselves the Muahidun, the, the idea of Tawheed, the oneness of, of God and the oneness of belief. When they say that they hate when people try to paint Islam into this corner, I'm thinking, you guys might want to be looking in the mirror a little bit. The same thing goes for President Erdogan in Turkey. Here's a guy who hasn't found a conflict he doesn't like. He's sending people into Libya. He's been meddling in Syria. He's probably supporting Azerbaijan in the current conflict with Armenia over in Nagorno-Karabakh. Check out my website for a recent blog on this particular worrisome escalation in violence. Pakistan's prime minister in a country where Islamist extremism often rules the roost. We may remember a few years ago, a bunch of killings by Islamist extremists in Pakistan over so-called blasphemers. 
people who had said or done something which was construed as being an insult against Allah or an insult against the Prophet Muhammad. My advice to these leaders is a very simple one. People in glass houses shouldn't be throwing stones. Islam is the nation, if I can use that term, referring to the Ummah, the global Islamic nation. Islam is the one in crisis, not the West. We have our own crises, thank you very much. We have a worrisome rise in, in uh, right-wing extremism, of course, is the whole COVID. We have a rise in conspiracy theory. We have a rise in, in, in authoritarianism in places like Hungary, etc. So we're not getting off scot-free at the same time. We do have things to take care of in our own backyards. But for the Islamic world to be pointing the finger at Macron, President Macron, and the West for their perceived insults against Islam, those fingers should be pointing inward. Because many of these leaders have either turned a blind eye to or actively encouraged a radical, violent, intolerant, hateful interpretation of Islam. And in the Saudi case, has spent the past 40 years propagating it around the world by sending preachers. No wonder Macron wants to end this notion of importing preachers from the Middle East into France's schools. Why would you import preachers that, that preach hatred for those who aren't Muslim? I sure as hell wouldn't. I want to share a thought that I've had for quite some time. I'm not, it's not my original thought. I don't, don't remember where I read it, but this is a fascinating way, perhaps, of looking at it. Maybe a little naive. I'm going to throw it out anyway. Islam has been around for the better part of 1,400 years. In fact, 1,410 years by the our calendar. The Islamic calendar is a little different. They count things a little differently. So it's the year 1,400-ish in the Islamic calendar. Where was the Christian world in 1,400? Now, I'm not a historian. Certainly not a historian, a European historian. But what little I do know was that in 1400, Europe was racked by religious wars. This, of course, was the cusp of the decision by Henry VIII to break off from the Catholic Church and form what is essentially the Anglican or Protestant Church. This is the, the great reformist movements in, in Germany and in the Netherlands of the 1415 and 1600s. So if you go back 600 years ago, we, and by we I'm using this term very broadly to refer to those of us in the West, we're in the midst of great debates and battles, often turning violent, when it came to religion. People were burned at the stake for heresy. Most of Western Europe was at war for the better part of a century. And those wars were dictated in part, not in whole, but in part by religious differences. The Western world, 600 years later, is a very different world. Religion does not have primacy in any country that I know of in the Western world. United States is a bit of an outlier in the sense that conservative Christianity seems to be a little more persuasive and dominant there than anywhere else. But religion has been put where it probably should be, and that is in people's living rooms and in their homes. I.e. it's a private matter. It's not a public matter. Our governments do not represent one faith over another. Our governments represent all Canadians, Americans, Swedes, Norwegians, Belgians, Spanish, Italians, whatever. We do not see ourselves as living under the yoke of religious doctrine. Some would say that's a mistake. I happen to believe it was a, the great rise of liberal secularism in the Western world was the best thing that ever happened to us. Yeah, you, you might uh, take issue with that, that's fine. But it took us the better part of several centuries to get there. Now I know the analogy is not perfect, but what if Islam is still in the 15th century of its development? Now this of course assumes that historical developments are all parallel, and of course they're not. But it's an interesting way of looking at it. 
that maybe Islam has a little ways to go to get to the point where faith is an acceptable part of society, but it doesn't dictate society, i.e. governments aren't Islamic governments. They are governments for all the people, regardless of their faith, even those who have no faith. Maybe that's what has to happen. Maybe these states have to have these dialogues and these debates. And I predict it's not going to go easily. There are lots of vested interests in Pakistan and Saudi Arabia and Egypt and in Turkey and other countries where the leaders have a relationship with the religious establishment. In many cases, they're under a lot of pressure by very powerful interests in those religious spheres. We've had several prime ministers and kings assassinated by religious extremists in the Islamic world over the past couple of decades. They have to tread very, very carefully, but they have to get there. Again, this is me speaking as a secular Canadian, one who doesn't happen to hew to a, a particular religion in a way that I think should dominate the way that Canada functions. I have no issue with anyone practicing any faith that they want. Just don't try and impose your faith on me and don't try to impose your faith on society. But the Islamic world is going through this big time. And if anything, I think we're seeing a bit of a, a step backwards over the past couple of decades where conservative, intolerant, hateful, and in an extreme violent members of Islamic sects still hold an inordinate amount of influence over the nations in which they live. I don't know. Am I off on a, on a tangent here? Am I, do I have any support for what I'm talking about? It's always easier to point the finger elsewhere rather than looking at your own backyard. And the West is a very, very easy target because we have open, democratic, secular, liberal societies where we allow debate. We allow differences of opinion. We don't slam the door just because someone says something we don't like. That's been the victory over the Enlightenment since the 17th and 18th centuries. A lot of Muslim lands haven't had that experience. They are still held in thrall to the influence, and I would call this as well, the suppression and suffocation of religious authorities. Maybe they can learn from our history, learn from our mistakes, because we made a hell of a lot of them. But you know, as we're nearing the end of 2020 here, and I hear leaders calling on boycotts and calling for punishment of Western nations that are simply engaged in activities that we have earned at a dear cost in blood and treasure over the past couple centuries, they might want us to start looking at their own cases. I don't know where this is going to end. Seems to me that people killing over a bunch of cartoons in 2020, it ain't good. This is a throwback to a much earlier period in human history that was a lot more violent. I love to engage in a conversation on this. Again, to my many Muslim friends, I am not, I'm not saying this is an Islamophobic tirade on my part. It's simply a statement that many Muslim countries are in deep, deep trouble when it comes to governance, and it comes to tolerance, and it comes to allowing differences of opinion. That's what I think. You give me your own thoughts. Am I way off base here? Do you have similar experiences or different experiences? Love to hear from you. You can reach me on email, borealisrescue.gmail.com, or on Twitter at borealisaves. I also am to be found on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like this content, want to hear more, please subscribe. Go to my website, borealisthreatenrisk.com. Find the subscribe button, put in your email address, you'll get a free daily digest of all the material that's produced, podcasts, blogs, media interviews, etc., etc., free of charge. Love to get your feedback. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe.